You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, you may have thought that that last uh, graphic um, looked more like an Easter graphic with the crown of thorns there. Um, there's some intentionality in that, and I, I want to uh, just remind you of something uh, that as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, uh, we should not lose sight of the reason why He came in the flesh. Um, and so without His physical birth, uh, there could be no physical death. Uh, and so uh, we always want to, to remember that. In fact, we sang a lyric this morning in that first uh, hymn, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The third stanza there, I think, says, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness. And uh, those of you who are grammarians or your proofreaders or whatever, you may have thought there was a typo in the song there because it said S-U-N of righteousness. Uh, that actually comes from Malachi chapter 4, uh, verse number 2. Uh, and uh, let me read the words of that text for you because uh, this is Malachi's pro- uh, prophecy. It says, for to, uh, but for you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. Uh, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, uh, and you shall tread down the wicked, uh, for they shall uh, be, there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I act, says the Lord of hosts. Um, and so think there, son, S-O-N, of vindication. Uh, and when he comes to rule and reign and sets all things right and his justice uh, and righteousness is on full display, the thought there is that it will be as evident as the sunlight, as the rising sun. And so, now you know. Um, hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Um, I, I love uh, to uh, just stop and consider the theology behind the words that we sing and why we sing them. Uh, and we always want to do that with intentionality. Um, well, I hope that you are uh, anticipating Christmas as much as I am. I hope that you're more ready for Christmas than I am. Uh, because I'm not even close. One of the kids after the early service ran up and said, Pastor Mike, it, Christmas is in 15 days. Um, I, I didn't hit him or anything like that, but I was just like, thanks for that, that reminder. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, that that uh, the time is fast approaching, and I still have a lot of things to do, a lot of, uh, a lot of work to be done. Pray for our staff. There's a, there's a lot of preparation involved in uh, not just the completion of the building over there, which, of course, uh, we're not so much a part of that in terms of the construction side of it, um, but just a lot of planning, uh, a lot of organizing, and um, when you look at a schedule change, that's not something we just randomly come up with and think, well, let's, let's just move it to 930, and there's a, a lot of a thought that goes into that, a lot of prayer, a lot of consideration, uh, and in a church our size, with some of the challenges that we will continue to face, even in that new space, just know uh, that we are not going to make everybody happy all the time. Okay, so um, just don't be grumpy, okay? Can I just ask, don't be grumpy? Um, that would really be great. Um, and, and, and in some ways, you've got to understand, it's a bit of an inconvenience for us as well. Uh, you're not the only one impacted by uh, some of the challenges that we face as a growing church family and all of that. Um, so, uh, but all those things are being given careful thought uh, and consideration. Uh, we're in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there to Isaiah 9. 
Uh, This is the second Sunday of Advent. It's a season of preparation, as we've said. It's a season of anticipation. It's a season of of waiting. Uh, And it's not lost on me that we are doing that as a church family in a couple of different ways. Uh, We are in a season of anticipation and waiting clearly for Christmas and Christmas. I think that's, that's important. That's what Advent is all about. That's what it speaks to. But we're also in a season of anticipation and waiting and preparation for moving to a new space and having a new home and a new outpost for ministry and, and all that that brings. And it, too, is a reminder to me that Mike Lovely is not a very patient person, okay? Um, I go over there, and, you know, it, I can talk to the superintendent, and it'll sound like, you know, something's going to be done by this day, and lo and behold, it's not until two days later. And, you know, it's just, it's just the nature of, uh, of construction and all that that brings. But I am not good at waiting. In fact, Christy and Addie were doing some baking yesterday evening, and when they do that, of course, it, you know, it smells delicious. Uh, and I can hear the bowls and all this stuff. And, you know, I usually then wander into the kitchen and want to sample uh, what they're working on. I want to help clean the bowl. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, fun fact, mine and Christy's first argument came over cookie dough, okay? We survived it, and we've been married now going on 35 years. So, um, but cookie dough was our first thing. Um, but no, I, I like to go in. I like to, you know, man, when it's coming out of the oven, I'm just like, oh, I want to, I, I can't wait. You know, I just, it's that anticipation. I was that kid when, uh, you know, Christmas was fast approaching. I was trying to figure out what I was going to get for Christmas and all of those sorts of things. And of course, Advent is about so much more than anticipating presents. Uh, in fact, I saw um, it, th- there is not a lot that is uh, worth redeeming on Twitter these days. I rarely go there. But, but I happened to look at Twitter, um, I think it was maybe even early this morning, and I saw that a pastor posted, is it Christmas hype or Christmas hope? Christmas hype screams buy. You got to make another purchase. You got to get this. This is the best thing out there today. This is the latest technology, all that stuff. So Christmas hype screams buy. Christmas hope whispers bought. I love that. I love the significance uh, of what that is saying to us. And so um, we, we always, as pastors, as church leaders, are always uh, in- encouraging and pressing uh, our people to, to look beyond some of the Christmas hype, and, 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 and it's there. I get it. I, I love all the things associated with Christmas, the gatherings, the, uh, all the great food, and, and all of this stuff, but Advent is about so much more than waiting for uh, the Christmas hype and all that that brings. It is about waiting for Jesus. And God's people waited for him to come for centuries. And they were waiting for him to, and today we're waiting for him to come again. I think back to to songs that I I remember singing even as a kid, you know. uh, Soon and very soon, Andre Crouch, you know, we are going to see the king. Uh, Songs like I'll Fly Away that are, you know, it's all about anticipating that day when we'll be face-to-face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, we have that to look forward to. And so uh, that is what should stir our hearts to, to long for the coming of Christ. But what is it that the human heart deeply longs for, is waiting for? What is it that we want to see come into our lives and into the world more and more. And so we're going to see that today as we continue to look at Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at all of the first seven verses here in Isaiah 9 uh, and then focus our attention really on uh, verses 3 through 6. But uh, Beginning in verse number 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. 
In the former time, he brought into, into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this morning, we're going to focus our attention on uh, one of the names that we see here in verse number 6, Wonderful Counselor. But with that, I want us to, 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 to look at verses 3 through 5 for a moment and consider the good news that we've been waiting for. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I like good news. <laughs> uh, you know, more times than not, I'm thinking, I'm anticipating something different. It's, it's always a blessing when you hear good news, right? Maybe you've had some tests run or, or something like that, and, and, and you're not sure what, what, what the results are going to be. And it's always great when you get good news. Uh, well, the text here clearly talks about some good news. And if you were to make a list of m- the most desired things uh, that people want to see, certainly uh, high on that list would be joy, uh, would be freedom, would be peace. And we, may, we call those different things. People would say, I just want to be happy. I just want, you know, I, or they would associate it with a financial freedom or the ability to do things that I can't currently do because my resources limit what I can, those kinds of things. They just want a, a, a calm in their life. They're looking for peace. But ultimately, th- those are things that would be near the top of the list of things that pe- most people would want in some form or another. And Isaiah 9, 3 through 5 here tells us this is exactly what will come with the coming of the light of the world. So think about joy for a moment. The coming of the promised light into the world brings a joy that is compared here in the text to the three most joyful events that ancient Israelites would experience. So you notice there, there's a great increase in population. <laughs> the text reads, multiplied the nation. Now, those of us who live in Van Alstine or this area, you live in and around this community, you know that, that we're in a, a population growth. We're in a, a growth phase, and we're, we're seeing new people all the time, new faces all the time. We're reminded of it daily when we drive, as we sit in traffic longer, and it takes us longer to get from point A to point B, and you've got to build that into your schedule now. And, and then you get on you know, community Facebook and social media, and, and you see the people that really wanted to be the last people to get to Van Alstine, right, and then shut the door. I don't want anybody else, right? I mean, I came here escaping, you know, the crowded suburbs south of us, and I want to be the last one here. But we know that's not reality. They're continuing to build houses. There are new rooftops going up all the time. There are new people and and all those things. That's exciting from a church perspective, right? Get to meet new people all the time. Be a part of a a growing church family. and, And how exciting is that? 
But you got to understand, in that day, this increase in population, this multiplying the nation, would have been a cause for great celebration. Then there's the joy of harvest. The joy of harvest. That's not something that we think about a lot, unless you happen to be a farmer. Uh, I know when I was working my way through seminary on a dairy farm, and we, uh, we, we loaded up that last wagon of silage into the silo that you find up north a lot, that was a cause to rejoice. <laughs> there, there was joy. The harvest is over. The, the hay is in the barn. The silage is in the silo. Man, we're, we're, we're ready to go. We're ready for winter and, and that kind of thing. So there was the joy of harvest. And then there's the dividing of the spoils of war after a great victory. Now, that's something that's not, you know, that's not something we maybe can identify with readily. Uh, although I can remember a number of years ago, I was teaching Bible in a Christian school when, when Desert Storm happened. And I remember sitting there thinking, my students are literally getting to watch war in real time on their TV. It was a sobering thought. I mean, I can remember working on the Christian radio station and reading the news from the AP wire that evening. The first shots have been fired over Riyadh. The United States of America is officially at war. And so you've got to understand here that, that, that Jesus is coming into the world brings the joy of seeing his kingdom grow throughout the earth. The joy of seeing a great harvest, a great spiritual harvest, and great victory over the forces of darkness that oppose the kingdom of God. So the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. It's an amazing picture of this kind of joy as people from many nations speaking many languages all heard the gospel of the kingdom and over 3,000, we're told, were added to the church that day, released from the darkness to the light, transferred from Satan's dominion to Christ's saving rule. And Christ has been repeating this triumph of joyful harvest and victory uh, all over the world ever since. So there's joy. But then there's freedom. Freedom in verse 4. You know, we Americans, we love our freedom, don't we? Man, love freedom. That's one of the the things that we love most about living in this country is the freedoms that we enjoy. And we don't want to take those things for granted. And we're grateful for those who've who've allowed us to, to enjoy these freedoms and things. And an important word from many people's favorite movie is freedom. Freedom. They can take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. Freedom was the final uh, dying word of Mel Gibson's character, William Wallace, in Braveheart. To be free is to be released from the oppression of bondage. Uh, And for the Scots in in Braveheart, they wanted release from the oppression of the English. Well, think about the Jewish people. The Jewish people of Jesus' day, they wanted release from the oppression of the Romans. That's why many of them were expecting the Messiah to be a different kind of Messiah than, than the one that, uh, that, they were, that they were coming to understand and know in Jesus. But understand this, the greatest oppression that we face comes from the universal enemies that defeat and oppress every human being in the world, sin and death. Sin and death. And Jesus came into the world to defeat sin and death, give us true freedom from the oppression of these enemies. Now, I think sometimes we, we get confused about what freedom is. Uh, some of us got to be a part of Jace's uh, kind of final step in his doctoral work uh, yesterday. Uh, and one of the things that we that talked about, because it was the, the nature of the subject of his, of his project, was the sexual revolution, right? Something, that, something we've been hearing about since the 60s, I suppose. Sexual revolution, which would say freedom, sexual freedom. That's what we want. We want sexual freedom. But what you find... 
In all of its various forms, this so-called sexual freedom actually brings what? It brings bondage. It brings bondage. And the same is true in other areas of life. Think about this. A few years ago, I was uh, with, I think it was Ashley, uh, and I was helping her get a car. So we're down at a dealership, and uh, we're in there talking to him about, you know, what's affordable for her, and I'm going to help her there. And, and uh, the guy asked me, he said, what is your credit score? And I said, I, I don't know for sure. I mean, I, I haven't looked in a while. It should be good. It should be fine. A few minutes later, he comes back out. He says, Mr. Lovett, you could buy any car on this lot you want. And I'm thinking, no, I can't. <laughs> no, I can't. You may say that, and you may let me sign a, a, you know, a stack of papers that would allow me to drive off this lot in, for example, this $95,000 truck that's sitting here in your showroom, and I might feel for just a moment that I've got this newfound freedom as I drive that vehicle off your lot, but within about 30 days, I'm going I'm, I'm to get, I, there's going to be a payment due on this thing, and I'm going to realize how little freedom I actually have because now I, I have a payment to make, Right? So, so often we don't truly understand what freedom is. Freedom here is not just the freedom to do whatever you want. It's freedom for what? Free, freedom from those things that truly bind us. And so you think about what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. I was talking about the incarnation. Jesus came, was born, took on human flesh, took of the same things. That through death, here's the connection, Here's the connection to hark the herald angels sing to come behold the wondrous mystery. Okay? He took on flesh and blood that he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver, here's true freedom, deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That is freedom. That's true freedom. And while we have been, been delivered now from the lifelong slavery of the fear of death, death is no longer a terrorizing end to life, we must wait with anticipation, uh, with an eager anticipation until Jesus comes again for his second advent, for the full and glorious freedom he has purchased for us to be ours forever. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, he said there, when the, the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's true freedom. And then peace, joy, freedom, peace. One constant part of life in the ancient world, both in Isaiah's day and in Jesus' day, was warfare. You say, well, it's not unlike the day in which we live, right? I mean, I can't think, I hardly think of a time in my lifetime, my 57 years on this earth, that there was not some kind of conflict going on somewhere. Some kind of war. Somebody's fighting this person. Somebody's fighting somebody. There's this war going on here. All those things. And just this past week, you know, December the 7th, Pastor, and I remember I asked Addie, Addie, do you know the significance of December the 7th? I said, December the 7th, 1941 is when Pearl Harbor was bombed and the United States was drawn into World War II. And so you think about how it marks the history of nations, warfare and all those things. And that was certainly the case in that day. Nations fighting against nations, neighboring tribes, peoples invading each other, almost an annual event. In fact, 2 Samuel chapter 11 tells us of, of King David's great sin with Bathsheba. 
And one of the things that we miss there in the text gives us actually an idea of the reality of this, of this kind of thing in, in that day. It says in, in, in chapter 11 there, in verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, and then get this, the time when kings go out to battle. <laughs> it's almost as if it was a season. It's like it's, it's, it's war season. <laughs> this is the time of the year when kings go out to battle. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rava. And David, but David remained at Jerusalem, which we know was partly what led to his downfall there, right? But understand this. When Jesus comes, he brings peace. And we'll explore that more in a couple of weeks when we consider Jesus as the prince of peace. But in his first advent, Jesus made peace between God and his people by his blood shed on the cross, making peace by the blood of the cross, it says in Colossians 1.20. He also made peace between the people of God. In Ephesians 2, it tells us, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And when he comes again, get this, he will end all warfare and conflict forever and reign over the new heaven and earth as the victorious and eternal prince of peace. That's what we anticipate. That's what we long for. You long for that day. Look forward to that day. But let's, let, let's focus in a little more as we look at verses 6 and 7 on who, who it is that comes to bring this good news. Who is this? So the announcement of the, of, of the one who will make these things a reality is the birth announcement of a special royal child, a child who will be born, who will also be a son given by the Lord, who will rule over God's people. The prophet here says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Let's think about the child born. Now remember, Isaiah had spoken earlier, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, about a child who was to be born. He said there, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. He shall call his name Emmanuel. This child will be born to the royal line of David, born of a virgin, would be the, uh, the definitive sign that God was indeed with his people and would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And if we sometimes fail to see the connection between these ancient prophecies of the Old Testament and the New Testament, all you got to do is flip the page to the very first chapter of the New Testament in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and this is what we read. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then verse 22 says this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Look in the rearview mirror for a moment. Isaiah said this. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. The child born. But with that, 
we see this language of the son given. The son given. The child who was born is also the son who was given. But what kind of son and given by whom? Well, how could the royal son of the line of David at the same time be mighty God and everlasting father? How could any human king bring the kind of joy and freedom and peace that's promised here by Messiah? Anytime a family's anticipating the birth of a child, you, you do so with, 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 uh, with some anticipation. And maybe you spend some time as you look into their little eyes for the first time and you count their little fingers and toes. You give some thought to, I, I wonder, what, wonder what they will do with their life. And there's probably been more than a few dads who thought maybe they'll play in the NFL. Maybe. No. I mean, he's like, what, 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 are you, what are you thinking? I mean, what, what, what is it that th- this child will do? I, you know. Actually, when you're a new parent, you're just thinking, I hope I can keep this little person alive, right? I mean, it's like, wow. But there's, there's this anticipation, and as they, as they grow up, and you see their personality developing, and you start to see some of their giftings and some of their passions and all those things, that's an exciting part of, of parenting. So what is it that this son who was given would do? Who, who could bring this kind of joy and freedom and peace that's promised by Isaiah here? Is only because the son who is given is the very son of God. Camille read it for us at the beginning of the, of the, of the service today. For God so loved the world that he what, gave his son. So that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The son given. Then I want us to focus a little more intently then as we look at verse 6. And notice the language here, wonderful counselor. So verse 6 gives us essentially four throne names for Jesus, the promised child, the son who was given. And again, as as parents, you're anticipating uh, a a new baby in your home. Uh, One of the first things you have to think about is what are we going to name this child, Right? Uh, what will this, what this child's name be? And, and so you think through all the things. Maybe you think of your ancestors and your family's lineage and, and all those things. In our family, uh, the middle name Richard had already been used for like for three generations. My middle name is, is I'm Michael Richard. My dad, who's here today, is William Richard. His dad's name was Harry Richard. And so our firstborn son, Matthew, became Matthew Richard. So we put some thought into that. We wanted there to be that link to, to previous generations and, and those kinds of things. And, and then some people will take the time to look at the meaning of a name. You know, what, is it, what does a name mean? What, what's the name you know, what behind it? And, and we want that to have significance. And do we choose a biblical name? Do we, you know, I, I always marvel when we're in East Texas especially. And I, I love East Texas. I I, I do. But we started noticing one day, have you noticed how many people here named their kids after, like, weapons? Like, <laughs> if you got a kid named Colt, that's awesome, okay? I'm not, okay. <laughs> Remington, great. I, I love your little Remy. I really do. I just thought it was interesting. I was just like, you know, and then there's a kid named Cutter. You got a kid named Cutter. Okay, that's, a, okay, that's super cool. I mean, that's a cool name. Um, I, I know when Christy used to do some data entry, she would occasionally bring me over. She goes, you got to look at this name, babe. Look at this. I, I, it was just mystifying to me, like, what are people thinking? Names are important, aren't they? Names are incredibly significant. And we see these names here given. One, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And while we say, well, those aren't really names, but, but Scripture says clearly he shall be called these things. This is how he shall be known. 
So the first throne name of Jesus has sometimes been interpreted as two names. And maybe when you're reading this text, you pause between wonderful and counselor, uh, as if it's two different names. It's actually not. The original Hebrew actually doesn't have commas, and so it's kind of left to a judgment call by the translators. But the pattern seems to be two-word titles, four two-word titles. There's a kingly role and an adjective that describes it. And so he is a counselor. What kind of counselor? He's a wonderful counselor. He's a father. What kind of father? Everlasting father. He's a God. What kind of God? Mighty God, which actually makes it clearer that he is God and not just a God. Um, And he is a prince. What kind of prince? He's the prince of peace. So we're told here his name is Wonderful. And just because wonderful isn't likely a separate name doesn't mean that he is not wonderful. Uh, it only stands to reason. For him to be wonderful counselor, he must be wonderful, right? His name is wonderful. Now, in Judges chapter 13, we find uh, Samson, one of the judges, right? Samson was known for his great strength. He was the guy whose hair got cut and he lost his, that whole story. Samson's parents uh, are promised their son who was promised to be greatly used by God. And if you know the account there, Samson's father, a guy named Manoah, uh, wants to honor the one who has made this promise and find out more about him. And so we read in Judges chapter 13, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat and the grain offering, as was the custom of that time, offered, on the, offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife uh, were watching. The Lord's name is Wonderful, for he is the one who works wonders. But even more specifically, understand this. Whenever you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, When that appears in the Old Testament, that is generally a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus. Okay, we would call that a Christophany. And so this one who says his name is wonderful is none other than the promised child son king of Isaiah chapter 9. The Lord Jesus, his name is wonderful because he is the one who works wonders. It doesn't mean that he's just a, a, a terrific, super fantastic kind of person. Although he is, of course, it means he works wonders, does miracles on behalf of his people. And then we're told here that he is the counselor of counselors, essentially. Now, when Isaiah says that his name is Wonderful Counselor, we need to be careful that we don't hear him saying he is a really terrific therapist. Okay? That's not what he's saying here. I'm not saying anything bad about therapy. It's not telling us that Jesus is the best therapist there is, and we can tell him our problems, and he'll give us a seven-point plan for a happy and fulfilled life, okay? Of course, we can go to the Lord uh, with everything. We're told that in Scripture. Uh, And we're to indeed cast all of our cares upon him, cast our cares on him, knowing that he cares for us. And we like to take 1 Peter 5, verse 7, for example. And we love to take little snippets of a text like that, and we like to, you know, pull it out because that, that's awesome. That makes a great little bumper sticker or something to put on a Christian keychain. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. What is not to like about that? And that's great. But we fail to remember the context of that whole section of 1 Peter chapter 5. Because here's what it says. <laughs> Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God 
so that he, at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your cares, your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then it goes on to say there, be sober-minded. Be careful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That makes verse 7 mean something different now, doesn't it? It's talking about his rule and his reign and our submission to his lordship. So it's not enough to just go, I'm just so thankful I can just cast all my cares on the Lord. While that is true, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And then you got language like suffering in the midst of that context and everything. Wow. You see, the, the purpose of counsel generally in the Bible is to give plans for victory. You see that in various places, especially in the Old Testament, uh, in conflict and things. Jesus is the very best of kings and the very best of counselors, for he gives counsel for victory over the enemy of our souls. And he is able to work wonders to bring about the deliverance that we truly need. So we not only need to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us, but he will also himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. He set us up for victory. And one of the frustrations that I admittedly feel many times as a pastor who's called on to counsel is that I am powerless in myself to really help. I don't have the ability to save or deliver anyone. I I can give sound biblical advice. I can explain uh, scriptural teaching on God's plans and purposes. But I can't change someone's heart. I can't change their circumstances as much as I might like to. There have been so many times I've sat and talking to someone as we both shed tears together. I'm like, I wish I could change this situation for you. I wish I could change the heart of your loved one. I wish I could take away that addiction that you're struggling with. I wish I could do that for you, but I can't. I'm not the Redeemer, but Jesus is the wonder-working counselor. And by his Holy Spirit, he is changing us from the inside out. And by the power of his resurrection victory over Satan and sin and death and hell, he leads us in victory as we humble ourselves, learn from his counsel, trust his wonderful strength. He is wonderful counselor. So this Advent season, do you find your heart longing for more peace? And I'm not just talking about world peace. I mean, we would all wish for that. I'm talking about peace within your life. Like maybe you're in a stage of life where you just feel like your life's chaotic right now. It's just chaotic. So many uncertainties, so many things. The job is uncertain. The future is uncertain. All those things. You just long for peace, more joy, more freedom. The only one who can deliver and redeem and and lead us into true victory is the promised child, the given son, the wonderful counselor who is our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we must go to him in faith, worship him, learn from him, follow him. He's wonderful counselor. 
Let's for just a moment bow our heads together in prayer this morning. Every year around this time, I'm struck with something that uh, I find kind of sobering. There have been a few times in my life where I've, uh, for different reasons, maybe I've been invited to a, a person's birthday celebration, and I don't really know the person who's being celebrated. Maybe it's because we have a common friend or something like that, and so I just, this just seems kind of odd. And I'm always struck by the fact that there are literally millions of people who, who will be involved in the, the festivities and the, the, the holidays and the, the season and all that it brings and not really know the one whose birth we celebrate. If you're here today and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, you may know about Jesus. You may have read enough of Scripture, enough of the Gospels to know who Jesus is as a historical figure. You may know of some of the things that he taught. But what's most important today is not that you know about Jesus, but that you know him as your Savior and Lord. And that's only possible by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you've never taken that step of faith, I invite you to take that step of faith today. Acknowledge that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. You long for the joy and the peace and the freedom that only He can bring. It's all eternal. And if your testimony today is one of faith in Jesus Christ, this season for you is so important spiritually. Because you look to the Savior, the child born, the son given. That has deep spiritual significance for you. Wonderful counselor is more than just a title. It has meaning for you. Let's thank him for that today. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the timeless prophecies of old. All pointing to the timeless one, the child born, the son given wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. For that one here today who may be struggling, longing for joy, longing for some kind of freedom, for peace that they've never experienced, a peace deep down in their soul, I pray that they would not try to find that in something, more stuff, but in you the only one who can truly give us freedom and joy and peace. So Lord, now we pause together to adore you. For anyone here today who doesn't yet know you, it's my prayer that by your Holy Spirit, 
they'd be drawn to you today. How we love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.